you there. I'll just give you an announcement. Remember our service tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, one afternoon service, no Sunday school. Buses will not run. Neither will we have our Sunday evening service. Now in Watertown, the church there has an evening service, but no morning service. Is that right? Now, it looks like uh, if everything goes according to my schedule, that the service tonight will be like this. I'm going to preach, and after I preach, Sister Rutherford will sing for us, and we will take communion. Then we're going to dismiss, go downstairs, have a time of fellowship after we have prayed, after the communion. We're coming back up. Sister Thorpe will lead off with a song. And Brother Manley will be preaching a victory rally here. Praise God. So, we're just going to have a big blowout for Jesus tonight. And just have a great time in the Lord. Praise God. I don't know of anything that uh, is funner than to be in the house of the Lord. (laughs) And worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Now, Brother O'Neill preached an outstanding message last Thursday evening, and uh, he talked about uh, a few things along the lines of of the political. Uh, I had already planned on doing some speaking tonight along the same line, and I mentioned that to you Thursday evening. Now, I did not really know that he had planned on doing that, until I got to church on Thursday afternoon and talked briefly with him, and he asked me a question. That's when I made the comment about uh, him running for president. But uh, I want to talk tonight about our attitude in general. And the reason why that I want to define this is because it's very easy when you come down in strong opposition to anything, whether it be sin or false doctrine, which is a form of sin, or political uh, figures and laws which you oppose to have the wrong attitude in doing it. Now, Brother Crowder will be speaking here Thursday evening, and I've also asked him to give a message that he has shared a part in part with me concerning attitudes. From Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 51 through verse 56, Jesus said, It came to pass... When the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even 
as Elias did. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And you may be seated. I think Jesus has certainly set these two men straight who were his disciples indeed. It is possible to be on the Lord's side and yet not really have the Lord's Spirit. Now, when I say the Lord's Spirit, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about the Lord's attitude. Now, when the Bible says, you know not what manner of spirit you're of, our present day vernacular would go something like this. Boys, you don't know what kind of an attitude that you have. It's not the right attitude. While in our Pentecostal ranks, we quite often refer to a person as having a good spirit or a bad spirit. And Christians can have bad spirits. Now, when we say bad spirits, we mean bad attitudes. Now, an attitude... Or our attitude is our mental state or mood. The attitude is the way of measuring your disposition. While it is a part of your disposition, it's the way of measuring your disposition. It's like the mercury in a thermometer. Now, the mercury makes up a large part of the thermometer, while it is not the sum total of it. But it actually does the measuring. And your attitude is the means by which your disposition is measured. We talk about people with good spirits or good attitudes. We talk about people with bad spirits or bad attitudes. And in our present day, it seems to be undefined largely even in Christian ranks, what the proper attitude of the child of God or people in general should be. One person will be commended for a particular display of his attitude or his disposition and maybe a man manifesting the same spirit or attitude would be condemned in certain other religious circles. Now, the only way in which good and bad can be measured is by the Bible, the Word of God. It is the proper means for measuring good and bad. Now, God cannot sin. And the reason why that God cannot sin is very simple. Now listen to me carefully. Because sin is a transgression against the law of God. And 
sin is determined by what God opposes. If God does not oppose it, then it is not sin. And for this reason, God can not sin. In other words, good and bad is always predicated and determined by the action of God. Now, we talked last Thursday after Brother O'Neill's message, which was, I want to say again, was very good. It was better than good. It was outstanding. It was excellent. I talked to you about uh, some of the things that we are planning on doing. We're having a board meeting by, <clears throat> I say by, with the uh, elders' wives and the elders both together. This coming uh, uh, Wednesday night, January 11th. That's not this Wednesday night, but uh, I'll get this straight in a minute. Uh, two Wednesday nights. Or a week from Wednesday night. No, that wouldn't be right either, would it? Anyway, January the 11th, okay? We're having a, a board meeting with all the elders and their wives. And there are certain things that we want to do. Now, the reason why that that uh, I want to have this board meeting and the reason why that, that I've asked Brother Crowder to speak on the subject of attitudes is because I think that it is easy for a church to go in the right direction, but at the same time, do the right thing in the wrong way. We can find in the Scripture examples of men who meant well, who were doing the will of God, but they were not doing it in the right way. A typical example found in the Scripture was David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Was he bringing the Ark of the Covenant there as directed by God? Evidently in prayer, the Lord inspired him that this he ought to do. But when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in, him feeling that the Ark was so sacred, he built a new cart, put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, meaning well, pulling it or having it drawn by oxen, he brought it down the streets of Jerusalem and danced before all the people in the presence of God. But all of the dancing in the presence of God and before the people was, even though it was an act of sincerity, it was not really accepted by God because the law that Moses received from the Lord stated that the ark was always to be transported with wooden staves through the rings on the side of it, and it was to be hoisted above the shoulders of the sons of Kohath. And that's the way that it was to be carried. While David was doing the right thing, he was doing it in the wrong way. And your attitude will always determine whether you do the thing in the right way. You will find in the Scripture men who had the right attitude that did the wrong thing. They were accepted in many cases above the man who did 
the right thing with the wrong attitude. You will find that in the Scripture, it appears that, that, that the final act of, of King Saul being turned over to a reprobate was the fact that he went inside of the tabernacle and he would not wait upon the high priest. He was in a hurry. And he went in the tabernacle and there he began to perform the duties of a priest because he was just too anxious. He was short on patience and his attitude was wrong. Yet on the other hand, there was a man by the name of David who had no right in the tabernacle either, but he ate from the table of showbread, and we do not find in the Scripture where the Lord condemned. In fact, Jesus even made reference to him eating from the table of showbread. What was the difference? The difference was in the attitude of the two men. One man was turned over to a reprobate mind and utterly failed God and lost his kingdom while it appears that the other man, even though he made a mistake, his attitude was right and God did not come down hard with condemnation upon the man. Uh, two other places in the scripture or another place in the scripture involving two men would be found in the final day of the crucifixion of Jesus, in which one man betrayed the Lord with a kiss, and another man warmed his hands by a fire and denied the Lord, each action being very similar in essence. What was the difference? One man hung himself and lost his soul. It was said of Judas, it had been better that he'd never been born than to have walked with Jesus and then betrayed him. And yet on the other hand, another man denied him, betrayed him in, in, in essence. Uh, what was the difference between Judas and Peter? The difference was in their attitude. The difference was definitely in the attitude of the two men. Now, we are seeing some things in our land relative to uh, the uh, religious rights being taken from us. Now, there are a lot of people who are rising up in what we would call a militant-type force. Uh, there are people who are surrounding courtrooms and courthouses and, and uh, uh, state capitals with their Bibles in their hands and their fists clenched. And Now, personally, listen to me very carefully when I say this. Calvary Gospel Church will have nothing to do with any Bible-thumping, uh, fist-clenched uh, riot that will take place at our capital or any other capital. I just want to set the record straight because I do not believe that the two attitudes go hand in hand, at least the Bible. See, the Bible tells us how and what we should do. Now, turn with me to Matthew, the 10th chapter, and I want to to read something that I feel that uh, I have over-preached already. I've talked about this three times this past year. And if you feel that sometimes I get too repetitious with my preaching, uh, don't feel alone because I feel that way myself quite often. I'll uh, 
I'll really feel something in prayer, and then when I get up and preach it, and afterwards I get to thinking, well, I just mentioned that three or four weeks ago. But um, this is what Jesus had to say as he sent out the twelve. He gave them instruction. Now, let's look at uh, verse 14. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Now, shaking off the dust of your feet is not making reference to a bad attitude. In other words, well, just uh, uh, let them split hell wide open attitude. No, that's not it at all. That, that's not it at all. It simply means that when you do this, that you have relieved your responsibilities to those individuals. You've done what you can do. All right, verse 15. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now notice what Jesus said. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now this scripture right here contains the mission and the attitude. Now we are to be as sheep in the midst of wolves. There are a lot of people that are out to get our hide. And there's one thing that you will find in the book of Revelation that seems to not fit there in all the judgments of God that's sent upon the world. The Bible says that when God chose to, to destroy, I say destroy, maybe I should uh, back up and, and, and state, when God chose to persecute and send his wrath upon the human race, the Bible says that, that John, who took this trip in the Spirit and recorded what was to happen, he wept much when he looked at the throne and saw no man who was worthy to open the seals and to loose the judgment upon the face of the earth. Now, that simply means that as good and as wonderful as you are, God does not see fit for you to open the seals to judge the world. Why? Because you have enough problems keeping yourself under subjection. And it is by the grace of God that all of us are what we are. It's not by works lest any man should boast. We're not good enough to save ourselves. We're not uh, wise enough. Uh, to to merit eternal life, we're not. We just we just don't have it. It's by the grace of God. But the Bible says, but John looked, and lo, in the midst of the throne, there came forth a lamb, and took the book out of the hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now I personally believe he that sat upon the throne here was the church sitting upon the throne with. The Lamb. And the book was in the hands of the church. But the church could not. The church could not put condemnation upon the world. Now the Bible says concerning Noah that it was by the action of Noah building the ark and manifesting faith in God that the world was condemned. 
through this act in Hebrews 11, he condemned the world. And so the church actually condemns the world. But we only condemn the world in this light, that we have put all of our sins in and under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and had it erased by his blood. So it's not by our works that makes us pure. It's not by our works that makes, makes us holy. And the real reason why that you get to heaven is not because of the good deeds you do, but heaven is a place that you inherit. Just like you would inherit an estate from a deceased loved one, heaven is not given to you because of your holiness. It's not given to you because of your righteousness. It's not given to you because of your sinlessness. It's given to you because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You inherit heaven. And so the book was taken out of the hands of him that set upon the throne the body of Christ, and it was placed in the hands of a lamb. And the Bible then, throughout the book of Revelation, makes reference to the wrath of the lamb. And the reason why that this is such a strange term is because lambs by nature are not wrathful. It appears that what happens here in the book of Revelation, that there was enough uh, of the, the condition in the world that tore up the thinking of God and caused such a turmoil in the mind of God that God sends forth judgment simply because that he had to. He was provoked, in other words. It was like uh, a man who would, uh, would go out with his fist clenched and pick a fight with somebody. You know, you've seen this happen. I, I've seen it happen all my life. I've, I've seen it happen on school campuses. I've, you know, in, especially in grade school where the boys like to prove who's the toughest. You know, some of the big guys with their fists clenched all the time they're the ones that get their heads bashed in the most. Because some of those guys they pick fights with, friend, even though they don't like to fight, uh, you know, it, it does not measure their toughness. And, and some of the guys that, that, that don't like to fight uh, are really the better fighters. And, and this seems to be the case that, that God's wrath was provoked, or he was provoked into wrath. And so as a result, the wrath of the Lamb is found there. Now, we by nature, because that we are human, and because that we are sinful by nature, it is easy for us to have the disposition of the wolves. But that should not be our disposition, because we have been born of His Spirit. And we should bear His attitude. And so he, like sheep, was led before the shearer, dumb, and opened not his mouth. The Bible tells us that he stood before Pilate there, and he refused even to defend himself. Now, that's the true nature of a lamb. Now, so what he says, he says, I will send you forth as sheep among wolves. Be ye therefore, notice what he says, be ye therefore dumb as all get-outs? No, he doesn't say that. 
He just says, be therefore wise as serpents. Now, in other words, he didn't say that I send you forth as serpents among wolves. You'd have a fight on your hand for sure. No, he, that's not the way he said it. He said, I send you forth as sheep among wolves, but I want you to be wise like a serpent, and then I want you to be harmless like a dove. Now, quite often, uh, I go with our young people to, to the Milwaukee County Zoo. I like to go over there. They've got this reptile house, and you go in there, and they've got all of these snakes. And I don't even like to get near those cages. Now, a lot of people, they just stand there and they ooh and ah over how beautiful this snake is. I have never in my life seen a snake that I thought was pretty. <laughs> really. They said, but look at all the colors. To me, all those colors, that's like the colors on the bright lights of a nightclub as far as I'm concerned. You know, I just I don't appreciate even the colors in those snakes. I said, you know, you can, I'll stand over here and I'll look at them. They're, they're, they look slimy. They they, they just, ugh, they just turned me off. I, I, I go through there, and when I go through there, I, I just thank the Lord, you know, that, that they're behind the glass, and you stay behind the glass. <laughs> now, you can go in the bird houses. they got a big bird dig, uh, house there that you can go walk through, and, and the birds are not even behind the glass there. They're just out in the trees and such, and, and they've got the doves. We've got a dove that I thought doves migrated to the south, but evidently... They don't, at least they don't all. Uh, we've had, uh, in the last few days, a, a turtle dove uh, around our bird feeder and just keeps eating and keeps eating. And Sister Grant, she keeps putting out food and putting out food and putting out food. But uh, you talk about something that's docile, something that's gentle, you know. You, you'd want to go out there and pick that dove up and, and help that poor creature around. Now... The scripture says then, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now we don't worry about the kids when they play in the yards and the doves are out there. You know, we just don't worry about it. But now if there's a snake around, and we know there's a snake around, you know there's reason to be alarmed. I was raking our yard one, one fall, and while I was raking the yard, I raked across a snake. So I quickly went and got the, the hoe or whatever I could find there. I don't remember what I had, and I, I beat it to death. Well, I picked it up to find out it was a rubber snake, and it wasn't even alive, see? But so without thinking, I put the snake on a fence. We had a little fence about three foot high right out in front of the door along the porch there. So I put it on the, I put it on the, the fence. Well, I took a, took a little trip. Out of town the next day. Needless to say, Sister Grant saw the snake there. Now when she saw the snake there, she became very, very alarmed. She went and got John and Roy and Steve and, and they, they, they devised a plan to kill the snake. John got the gun. Now he really did. And Sister Grant got a broom and Roy got a, a rake or a hoe or something and, and, uh, so, they were going to attack the snake, and John was going to stand by with the gun in case the thing got away. They were going to kill that snake. Why? Well, there's a lot of kids that come over to our house, a lot of kids that play. Now, we don't worry about the turtle doves like that. See, that's, that's no problem. We, we just feel that, that basically the turtle doves are harmless. 
But now the serpents, that's something else. And so they went through all their ordeal and they killed the rubber snake again. You know, Paul speaks of people being twice dead and plucked up. Well, this one was three times dead. Uh, he was dead when he was born. And uh, I killed him and then Sister Grant killed him. But uh, we do worry about the serpents. We worry about the serpents. But now Jesus goes on in verse 17. This is what he said. But. In other words, he puts a conjunction there. He said, but. Beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. In other words, what he's saying is. You've got to beware of people. You've got to beware of people. You see. A lot of us really don't understand human nature the way we need to understand it. Occasionally we'll have a man who will come into our assembly or our lady, and as we begin to pray with them, we understand that they're possessed with evil spirits. So as a result, when we detect that they're possessed with the demon, we take and we pray with them and seek God with them and cast that evil spirit out of them. Now, when Jesus was here, he went about casting the devils out of people. Now, when you look into the epistles, when you look into the epistles, you don't find records there of the apostles casting devils out of people who were in the church. And the reason why is because the church is made up of people who are blood washed, people who are born again. But there's a whole lot in the Bible when you read there about the attitudes of Christians and about the works of the flesh that comes about. Now, you can cast the devil spirit out of a person, but the human spirit, which is the attitude, it can't be cast out. It has to be converted or changed. And you can pray all you want to pray about your bad attitude. But the bad attitude needs to come under subjection to the Spirit and the power of God. Bad attitudes and people are not cast out. They are controlled and disciplined and brought under subjection to the Spirit and the power of God. But you do find in those epistles many, many problems occurring as a result of people that have the wrong spirit or people that have the wrong attitude. Now, knowing all of this, then we understand what Jesus was saying when he said, Beware of men. If we who are Christians have to constantly work on our attitude, how much more should we be aware of the attitude, the general train of thought, the mental state? and mood of a world who does not know the Lord. See, this is the reason why that we have situations occurring like this. We made reference Thursday night to what we saw in the paper Thursday. If you remember, we made reference to the Knights of Columbus who put on the city bus, Keep Christ in Christmas. That's one of the actual signs of the city bus. Keep Christ in Christmas, Knights of Columbus. Of course, Anne Gaylor, who is an atheist and associated with the Freedom from Religion Foundation, 
she came along and she had this sign put on the city bus. The Bible, a grim fairy tale, a book that condones violence and sexism should not be revered. An educational message from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Now you see a lot of Christians can see things like this. It's one of the actual signs going on the city bus. They can see things like this and they think, my, that woman has gone out of her mind. Well, she never had the right mind to start with. I mean, the Bible bears witness to that. So the truth of the matter, that should not shock the daylights out of us. And it shouldn't make us provoked to the point that we just get so mad we want to go kill her. You see, this, this is what the world has to offer. Well, the truth of the matter is, you know, if she'd take a search for truth, she'd realize what the violence in the Old Testament was all about. And if she understood God's plan and chain of command for the family and for life in general, she would understand that the Bible does not provoke sexism. See? She'd understand that. But you see... This is the product of a non-regenerated individual. And when Jesus said, beware of men, now he was talking about women also. See, that's just part, that the, the Bible's written in the masculine gender, even though the United Methodist Church says it ought not be, and, and so as the Ecumenical Council says it ought not be, and so they're trying to make the Bible neutral, you know, I mean, if you want to get real technical, if you want to think like the world, you know, women wouldn't even have to be born again because Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again. <laughs> See? <clears throat> but all of us are intelligent enough to know what the Lord was talking about. And the Bible in no way promotes violence, neither does the Bible in any way promote sexism. The truth of the matter is, God has a beautiful plan in which all of us living here on the face of the earth can be what God wants us to be, and we can be beautiful individuals in His presence. He said, beware of men. They, the world and the system of the world does not think like the church thinks. And if you think that you can go to somebody and witness to them, and all of a sudden you can get them believing in everything that you believe in, including standards of holiness and such, listen, you're out of your mind when you think they're going to they're gonna feel that way. They won't feel that way. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I tell you, I sold them the whole bill of goods, everything from, from baptism to the Holy Ghost to you name it, holiness standards. I got all the ladies with long hair and so forth. And I want to write down, you know, I personally believe that a lot of these things that even newborn Christians cannot understand because these things are definite marks of maturity that come to your life as a result of an inner holiness that matures you and sanctifies you in God's presence. And you see, the Bible says the carnal mind cannot know the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. And you're not going to get the world to think like the church. Now, you see what happens when you try to get people to think just like you want them to think. You want to go and cram something down their necks. Or throats, maybe I should say. 
You know, you just you just want to cram some, and when you can't, you beget begin to get upset, and you want to prove who's the toughest, me or you. Well, the truth of the matter is, the Apostle Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, all of us should understand that our battle is not with the flesh. That is, with mankind. But we are fighting things in the spirit world that you cannot see with your eyes. And the only way that you can fight as a Christian is with the right attitude. You cannot fight carnality with carnality. And you can't fight bitterness with bitterness. The Bible says our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. God has given the church the proper weapons to bring down the strongholds of Satan. And the proper weapons that we have are the fruit of the Spirit. We have love that we can fight with. And we have joy that we can fight with. And we have peace that we can fight with. And we have gentleness that we can fight. Can you actually fight with gentleness? Can you fight with these type weapons? Sure you can. Have you ever brought your child before you and said, Stand up strong and tall, son. Now I've got to talk to you like a man. And you look at him right in the eye and said, You know what you did yesterday? And said, Wait a minute, Dad. I know what I did. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And please forgive me. Uh, I've been praying. I've been asking God to forgive me. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, your defense is taken away from you. You know, you just kind of wish he denied so you could just lick him real good. <laughs> you know? But you see, you know, he didn't do it. You know, while you're thinking, he ought to be sorry for what he did. Here he is sorry. It just totally left you defenseless. And this is what happens in courtrooms and various places when the Spirit of Christ is emulated from your life. When it's emitted into the atmosphere. You see, people see you. They see that mark of godliness about you. They see the strong confidence. Do you know having the right attitude brings more confidence than anything you can possibly have? There's just a confidence that comes with it. You know, you don't have to get up and kick the stars out. And, you know, most people who do all of that, they're not very confident in what they're doing. That's the reason why they have to display all of that madness. See? Now, let me go on one step further. I have right here on the pulpit a declaration of religious freedom. Uh, we have a congressman, Congressman George Hansen, who is introducing a bill uh, in the House of Representatives that deals with the, our constitutional right for religious freedom. Now, along with this, uh, there is a declaration of religious freedom. It is a petition of which I am asked to sign. And then, of course, uh, along with it, there are four postcards, uh, one to the president, two to the senators of our state, and then one to our congressman. Now, you may ask me, Brother Grant, are you trying to say that you will, you're against that? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that I will sign these and I will send them in. I believe that there is a right way to oppose things. 
That's what I'm saying. I think there's a right way to oppose things. Now, let me just explain something here from the Word of God that, uh, that I feel that's, that's very, very necessary for us to understand. Turn with me to, to Matthew, the 13th chapter. <clears throat> this is not our victory rally yet. Brother Manley will be preaching that. But Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus gives the parables. The first parable was the parable of the sower. The second parable that he gave <clears throat> had to do with tares that were sown among the wheat. Uh, the 24th verse <clears throat> said another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, this is probably talking more about false doctrine than anything else. But, but nevertheless, I want to uh, talk from a political standpoint also. Okay? Now, notice what happened. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Now, I understand only by reading <coughs> that... <coughs> that the two seeds, the seed of the tare and the seed of the wheat, are very similar. They look similar. And when the tiny blades come up, they look the same. And there is no way that you can determine what is a tare and what is a wheat in, in most cases. Now, the day, however, in which the fruit comes on... The, the stalk, and it begins to ripen, and when harvest time nears, it is quite evident who the tares are, or where the tares are, what the tares are, and what the wheat uh, is. It's, it's so easy then. Then you can tell, see. But the only difference is in the fruit. The, the head of it, the edible part, the good part. Now Jesus said, now while men slept, Satan came in and sowed these seeds. They looked the same. And when they all came up, they all looked the same. Now, this is what he said. So the servants of his household, of the householder, came and said unto him, Sir... Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And where did the tares come from? I thought we were sowing good seed. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. <clears throat> the servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we should go and gather them up? In other words, we'll go pull all the tares up. We'll get out in the field and we'll pull them up. Now notice what Jesus said. But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Pardon me. <coughs> so Jesus was saying, Now, you can't go out and be a judge of everything in the world. There are too many things that, that are just not clearly defined. And you cannot go out in the field. Now he says the field is the world. This is what he said. The field is the world. And he says, you can't go out in the world 
and, and pass judgment upon everything that's in the world. There are going to be some things that look good and appear to be good. And uh, you can go out there and you can start plucking them up. You might be right, but then on the other hand, you might be wrong. Because while you're pulling up the bad, you're going to pull up some good also. You see, there are certain things that's left in the hands of God to judge. And may I also say this, even in areas in which it is clearly defined as what is right and what is wrong, as a Christian you have to be very, very careful when you strike out with such opposition that you show the wrong spirit because of this, that the entire work of God can be thwarted upon the face of the earth as a result of your bitter spirit and attitude. Now, I personally know of Christians who have... have uh, uh, now, I'm not saying I oppose in every case this, but I, I want to I clearly define myself as much as possible. It's easy for the church to make placards and posters and banners and march downtown and oppose certain things and at the same time do more harm to the Christian faith than to do good. Now you may say, well then how uh, can, you, can, you, can you say that? Because you see, when, when you're carrying a, a, a poster, and I'm not saying carrying posters in every case is bad, because I think in some cases it's good. But uh, I will go, to say, go so far as to say this, when you're carrying posters and you're vehemently opposing things and, and people are coming by and, and they're not liking what you're doing, you're not liking what they're doing, and, 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 and so as a result, bad sparks are flying and attitudes are bad and everything. You see, there, you have very little chance uh, of showing them the true weapons of a Christian which are love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and long-suffering. You have very little chance. You see, our weapons are not mighty. Like the, the weapons of, of Satan are mighty. When I say mighty here, I'm talking about the might of men. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. And our weapons that are mighty are spiritual weapons. God has given us an arsenal in the church that's powerful enough to bring down all of the strongholds of Satan that will indeed stop the work of God on the face of the earth. That you and I are in a blood-washed church that's being watched over by heaven, and this church is going to go up at the first whisper of the trumpet of God! And I don't believe there's a devil in hell that's big enough and powerful enough to keep it down. Knowing all of this, then we should have perfect confidence that whatever God has started, as Paul says in the book of Philippians, he will finish. And uh, we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And our attitude should be that we are indeed sheep among wolves. But we move very confidently with a sure foot on the firm foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and I think that there is a right way to oppose certain things. Now, we're going to try by the help of the Lord in 1984 to make a stand for God and also to make a stand against some of the things that are happening in our country 
But we want to make sure when we do that we are Christian indeed. Now, <clears throat> how long have I been going? I should be finished by now, but I'm not. So we'll go on and finish. <coughs> I've talked to you about conversion. Now, this, this came to me as a result of just a, a lot of problems on my own. I have always been concerned about my walk with God. I want to make sure that I go to heaven. And while I said I don't believe that heaven is a place that you necessarily work for, you inherit, but I believe that I am a child of God by virtue of His Holy Spirit that's in me. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to drive this presence of God from my life by not being Christian. But it appears to me in the Bible that true conversion comes in this particular order. The elements of conversion, maybe we should say. Number one is knowledge. You've got to know certain things to be converted. Now when I say converted, we can talk about our original conversion when we are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is conversion. There's no doubt about it that's conversion. But true conversion is something that just it, it constantly takes place in your life. When you grow in knowledge and in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you grow, you change. Have you ever planted a garden and you just wish that those plants would grow? At the same time, you wish they would change? Have you ever gone out and got a little kitten? Aren't they so... All kittens are pretty. They're cute. Just, oh, just a little ball of fur. You could just, oh, they're just so nice. But they grow. They don't stay kittens. And you got that little butterball dog, you know, with the hair all sticking out, you know, and, and you really just a little round face and sparkling brown eyes and little curled tail and oh, just such a doll. And uh, your daughter comes by, oh, dad, if I could just have the dog, it's the cutest little pup. <clears throat> you fall in love with it, your wife falls in love with it, you get the dog, you bring it home. Problem is, the dog grows. After a while, the tail that was curled is hanging down. You know, the hair that was all straight is hanging down. Ears that were straight, now they're long and they're hanging down. Eyes that were real sparkling round, they're bigger and rounder and more sparkly than ever before. Little teeth that were just about this long now, they're big tusks sticking out here. You could put out 25 pounds of dog food in one lick. They got it all. <clears throat> Just take it all. You know, if they'd stay the way they are. But all of us know that life demands change. And when I say conversion, this is basically what I'm talking about. It's the growth process that takes place in us. Now, when you grow, you change. Or you're in the constant state of conversion. You've got to know certain things in order to be converted. You know, I remember pastoring a man one time that told me, he outright told me this. <clears throat> I took the church, he was a member of the church. When I took the church, 
If he was in the nursery in the back of the building, not this nursery, a different church, but the nursery was in the same location, <coughs> he told me, he said, well, uh, the truth of the matter is, he said, uh, uh, I asked him this question. I said, uh, do you uh, read your Bible? He said, well, the truth of the matter is, no. He said, the Bible is just a book of good common sense. He said, then I think I'm, I've, I've been blessed with common sense, so seems like me and the Lord always think alike. Well, you see, he had so many problems. He had a living girlfriend, which I found out about. That makes common sense, doesn't it? You know, that's the way the world does it, so I guess that's all right. Not only that, I found out he was stealing from his employer. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, well, see, it, we, we, when we got down to it, he was doing so many things; it was unbelievable. Also, I found out he had subscribed to Playboy magazine. It was coming to his house. His living girlfriend told me that. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's a good way to keep you spiritual. You know. <clears throat> And you, I mean, you name it. I, when we got uh, finished with our conversation, it was it was really pathetic. I can hardly believe it. But he never read his Bible. Now, <clears throat> he told me this. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. When I was baptized in Jesus' name, the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost right in the tank. And you talking about speaking with tongues? He said, I talked in tongues for an hour. You can go to our pastor. He named the former pastor. And you, he can tell you, man, I really did talk in tongues. You know, I don't deny that. See, see, the problem's not always in, in God. It's not in what we get. See, it's in what we keep. See, it seems like some people can get God, but God doesn't get them. And so, as a result, see... He, he just stayed on that one plane. That was it. Like the garden, you know, with the little tomatoes. Little tomato plants are beautiful. They get big. They don't look so good, but they've got a lot of big plants on them. A lot of big uh, tomatoes. And you're going to see a change in that, that vine. You've got to go do some pruning. If you don't do the pruning, you know what happens? You've got too much vine there and not enough fruit. You've got to know certain things. Let me tell you something. Children of the Lord, we are disciples of God. If there ever was a day and an hour in which we need to look in the Scripture and pattern our life after the founder, the author and finisher of our faith, it's this day and this hour that we live in. We need to make a long search through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and those apostles. And we need to learn what kind of spirit and attitude that they had that made them successful the way they were. Listen, they turned kingdoms upside down. They, had, they held audiences with the kings and with governors and various people. And yet they remained Christian with the same attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll tell you another thing. When they were placed in prison, they went ahead and worshipped the Lord. And God automatically opened the doors for some of them. Did he not do that? See? See? But somehow, 
as we have evolved down through the years, we've got this idea, especially we who live in America, this is a free country, and bless God, I can stand up and tell the whole world what I think of them and what I think of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their attitude is just not right. Hello? Y'all still out there? You understand what I'm saying? It's real easy. Listen, it's real easy to, to manifest a bad attitude toward people. Why, Brother Grant, is it so easy? Because we still wear this robe of flesh. Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This body is a body of death. It's subject to sin. The devil has a straight connection with the flesh. It's easy for me to have a bad attitude. Now, for me to know that I can constantly be converted, I've got to keep reading, keep reading. You've got to dump knowledge in your your brain. You've got to just read and read and read and constantly read and read and read and read. Read and read and read and read and read. Somebody may be blessed more than others, others by having a good attitude, uh, by not reading much, but, but m- most of you are hard-headed like I am and, and uh, <clears throat> hard to convince, and, and you've, got to, you've got to pump yourself full, I mean just really full, uh, of, of knowledge from the Bible. See? Now, I won't go into a lot of Scripture because I've gone over this and I teach it in our stewardship class, but basically, he that cometh to God must believe that he is you got to believe there's a God. And that He's a reward of them that diligently seek Him. You cannot know God if you don't believe there is a God. See? And, and so, finding God is predicated upon you knowing there is a God. See? But then after that is the attitude. You see, knowledge changes the attitude. Knowledge changes the attitude. Let's say that together. Knowledge changes the attitude. Knowledge changes the attitude. Knowledge changes the attitude. This is why I I teach the lesson, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't care what your problem is. If you'll take it to the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll make a search throughout the Scripture and you'll memorize, memorize, commit it to memory, key Scriptures relative to the problem you're having, regardless of what it is. If you're, a, if you're a person that likes to lay in bed and sleep all day, then you need to read the book of Proverbs and learn what Jesus Christ and what the God of the Old Testament thought of the sluggard. See, it doesn't make any difference what it is. If you're having marital problems, search the Scripture. Find out what the Scripture says about it. If you're tempted in certain areas, find out what the Scripture says about it. And memorize those Scriptures. You commit it to memory. What are you doing, Brother Grant? You're just filling your system full of knowledge. Because the attitude will not be changed until you know certain things. And after you learn certain things, commit to memory, then the attitude takes on a change. And your, your knowledge always has to constantly flow inside of you. Could I say something here that would be helpful to some of you who are a little lukewarm in the Lord? Do you know the reason why that some of you have constant problems living for God? You don't like to come to church? You know you don't like to come to church. That's the reason why you'll miss when the first snowflake hits the ground. 
You know the reason why that some of you don't like to come to church? It's because you don't get inside of the Word of God. And you'll never love God the way you need to love God until you get acquainted with God. And you will not be acquainted with God in any fashion until you get acquainted with the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ that's portrayed in the Bible. You won't do it. And you're going to flounder around all your life and never do anything for God and never have any fun in the world either. And the reason why is because you won't get into the Bible. Oh, listen, we need a revival of the Bible. We need to read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. Search the Scriptures for in them you think ye have eternal life. For they testify of me. Some of you know more about Bart Starr than you do Jesus Christ. Praise God. Somebody said, are the Seahawks going to the Super Bowl? Said they won today. I know one thing. The prophet spoke of this book, The Great Speckled Bird. It's going to the Super Bowl. It's going to be more than a silver dome, too, friend. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, if you have a hero, you're going to find out what that hero thinks. You're going to find out what makes him tick. You're going to find out how he looked at certain situations. You're going to find out how why he was successful. Well, I'm not saying that I believe it's a sin for you to take men of the world and some of their success stories and read them. I am going to go so far as to say this. I believe if you're more concerned about individuals who were successful in the world than you were apostles and prophets and the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got spiritual problems plus. And the reason why that sometimes we're not successful because, you know, we think we run the church like Lombardi ran the uh, Packers. You don't run the church like you run a Dairy Queen or a state bank. This is a spiritual institution. And the Lord Jesus Christ walks amongst us. It's different, friend. I say this church is different. This church is different. It's not like the businesses of the world. It's not a team, friend. It's a body. It's the body of Christ on the face of the earth. And you've got to know certain things about the head. There has to be a communication with the head. And if it's not there, friend, the attitude will not be changed. Fill your noggin with the Word of God. Cram it in. 
Study it. Search it. I'll assure you one thing, friend. If the government takes our Bibles away from us, we still got it in our heart and our head. David said, Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Then comes the attitude change. You see, you cannot repent without an attitude change. You see, this is the reason why that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he, re- he preached, he laid the blame for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ on those people who stood there and listened. He said, this Jesus of whom you ignorantly crucified. What do you mean we ignorantly crucified? Well, I'm sure that they weren't all there when Jesus was crucified. He was saying, listen, you're responsible because you are a sinner. And he died for you. And it was your blood that brought about his crucifixion. What was he doing? He was feeding them knowledge. Conviction then came. They then were pricked in their hearts. And they ran into Peter and the other apostles and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, the knowledge was giving them the attitude change. Peter then said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see what happened? They heard certain things. And when they heard it and conviction came, they immediately had an attitude change. Oh, and I'm afraid. Listen to me. I'm afraid we're not hearing enough. I say I'm afraid we're not hearing enough. I say I'm afraid we're not hearing enough. I'm afraid we're not hearing enough. Oh, and I might go on to say this. If all you hear about the Word of God is what you hear preached across the pulpit, you're missing the mark! The reason why that God put it in writing and placed it in your hands and gave you an education so that you could read is because you could, He wants you to have eternal life. I really believe that. I say I really believe it. And then, of course, after the attitude's been changed, then the proper conduct or action follows. You can't separate conduct from character or attitude. You see, what you think determines what you do. You just can't can't separate it. You can't. Now, well, I'm so far from finishing. I've got to hurry up here. I just feel God talking to us. I really do. You see, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17:9. I'll not have you turn here, but if you're taking notes, then you might write this down. But he said, "The heart is deceitfully wicked." He goes on to say, who can know it? Do you know that, that you cannot ascertain your own spiritual condition? You can't do it. You can't just sit down and say, well, I'm smart enough to figure out what's wrong with me. 
You can not do it. It doesn't work that way. You just can't do that. Now, First <clears throat> Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. We'll be <clears throat> talking to you about communion, but this is why I wanted to preach this message before. He said, <clears throat> Paul said, "But let a man examine himself." He talks about examining yourself. Verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. Now, Hebrews, the the fourth chapter, verse 12, says, The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and to the marrow, and to discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, Going back to Jeremiah 17, 9, if you read the following verse, it says, The Lord, however, knoweth the reins of the heart. In other words, because you don't know your heart, there has to be a method in which you can figure out what's wrong with you, yourself. When there is something that's wrong, a bad attitude. And listen, in Christianity, attitude's the name of the game. Now, the Bible is saying this, because you're not smart enough, because the heart is deceitfully wicked, you can't know it. You've got to get down and you've got to examine yourself. Now, the only way you can examine yourself is, is with what? The Word of the Lord. That's what examines you. See, the Word of God examines. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow. Well, I want God to get right down in that joint. I want Him to get right through this joint right here. I want Him to get right in here. See? I want Him to, to split the line, the thin line between my soul and my spirit. I swear I want the word of God to be in there, see? And is a discerner of the thoughts. God knows what you're thinking. But he also knows what makes you think. What you're thinking. See, I can't do it. But Paul says, so let a man examine himself. How are you going to examine yourself? Now, is this the kind of person I am? Was I like Paul? What about you, Lord? When he was reviled, he, what would you do, Lord? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you did. Yep, yep. You see, we look over part of that. We like to, we like to plait that whip. And we like to go through the temples cracking it and turning tables upside down. There is a time in which Jesus did that. But you see, Jesus was proven that he was really the master of the house. He had the prerogative. You don't always have the prerogative. Why? Because you're not Lord. See? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. See? This is what I'm talking about. Oh God, am I this type of person? 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffers long. Am I long-suffering? Charity is kind. Am I a kind person? Charity envieth not. Is that me, Lord? That's you. 
Jesus suffered long. Jesus is kind. Jesus envied not. Jesus vaunteth not himself. Jesus was not puffed up. Jesus did not behave himself unseemly. Jesus sought not his own. He was not easily provoked. Jesus thought no evil. Sounds just like you, Lord, but what about me? John suffers long. John is kind. John envieth not. John vaunteth not himself. He is not puffed up. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, Lord Jesus. Your word is... It's getting inside of me, God. Talk to me, Lord Jesus. Talk to me. The Lord knoweth the reins of the heart. But I don't know it. Why? Because I have this sinful robe of flesh. But oh, one of these days, I'm going to be redeemed. Redemption and fools coming to me for this immortality or this mortal. We'll put on immortality and this corruption. We'll put on incorruption. I'm going to be changed to be just like you, Jesus. Come on, Lord. Pop me full of your word. Change my attitude so I can be a better person so that when I walk the streets with people see me, they see my Jesus. They've got to see you, Lord. They've got to see you. Why? Because there are four billion people on planet Earth that's marching toward a devil's hell. I've got to be changed, God. I've got to be changed, God. I've got to be changed. I've got to be changed. You know, every day, when I come into Madison, I think it was God's hand that put me out on Felon Road. You see, I can't get into Madison without seeing the downtown area. That's one of the highest places on the east side when I drive in. I see all the downtown area and the lakes and the university system. And I never top that hill and see it all without choking up inside. God, how can I reach these people? 200,000 people in this area right here. How can I do it if somehow I could be just like him? That's what I want to be. I want to be just like him. Give me the right attitude, Lord, toward you. Toward my brothers and sisters and toward the world. I've got to be more like him. I've got to be more like him. Here in recent years, I've laid almost every book aside outside of a handyman magazine and a few news magazines that come. I think that ministers and children of God ought to be abreast on, on the things that are happening in the world got a lot of books that people have given me and I appreciate all the books and I'm not saying I'm not going to go read a lot of those books one of these days when I have more time than what I have now. I'm planning on sitting down and getting into a lot of these books and some of these that you gave me which I appreciate a lot. But I'm limited on time right now and because of my limitation on time the only book that I hell that I really resort to is the Bible. Now that's not to say that that I think other books are wrong. And I, I think I've clearly defined that. But in the limited amount of time that I have, it would be sinful indeed for me to 
just lay my Bible aside and I'm going to read this book and 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 this book and, and uh, let this go. I can't do that. I can't. Sunday school teacher, bus worker, bus driver, usher, greeter, song leader, elder, elder's wife, whatever position you hold, try your best in that leadership capacity to let Jesus shine. I don't always have the right attitude. I've had to call some of you on the phone before and say, Brother, I want you to forgive me because I didn't act like Jesus acted. Would you forgive me? I've had to do that, and you know, Jesus never had to do that. I've got a long ways to go before I'm going to be like Him. I think that's why Paul made this statement just prior to his... His death. You see, when he heard the steps clicking as a result of the boot heels that came down to get him, he was pinning the words to Timothy, I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. That same book he also says, I am striving for the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. Until they take my head, let me be just like him. In your letters to your senators, make sure that all of your language is Christ-like language and Bible language. If you're called to stand before judges, magistrates and such, what did Jesus say? He said, take no thought of what you shall say because in that hour, He said, the Holy Ghost will bring to remembrance the things that you've heard and the things you've read. It's important to read it because if you don't read it, the Holy Ghost can't bring it up. See? But what he's saying is, just when you stand there, make sure whatever you quote comes out of the book. Make sure however you act, it's, it's out of the book. Just be confident and be sure that this book works. I say this book works. It's not who is the toughest. You know, sometimes we have to prove that, you know. We get in a we get in a big argument with people. Give them a piece of our mind, so to speak, and leave a bad spirit. They're turned off. They don't even want to look at what you have to say. No wonder. You hear what I'm saying? I said, no wonder. I'm just giving you this example in closing. 
Not because I think it's the best one, but it's one that just recently happened and one that proved to be so valuable. Brother William Smith's sister, June Franklin, and his niece were baptized here on Christmas Day last year. Sister Grant and I started teaching them search for truth. It all boiled down to a few lessons in which we talked about search for truth, and then they came to church when Brother Hightower was here. They walked out of the service. When I went to teach the the Bible study, uh, they said, we don't want to talk about the Bible study tonight. We want to talk about uh, getting saved. What do you think, uh, Brother Grant, uh, you have to do to be saved? So I opened my Bible and I began to read. They said, well, what about a person who has never spoken in tongues? But somebody who loves the Lord. I opened my Bible and I started to read. The other one answered, asked me a question said, well, what about this? I opened my Bible and I started to read. Finally, the, the younger the daughter stopped and said, that's a problem with you Pentecostals. said, you, you think we're all lost? I said, I haven't said a word. All I've done is read the Bible. Yeah, but you think that way. I said, I think whatever the Bible says is fine. I believe it's real. I believe it's true. Yeah, but she said, I accepted the Lord in this church, and, and you, wouldn't ex- you wouldn't accept that as being salvation, would you? I said, well, I can tell you. It's been the gospel, she said. I said, I can tell you what the gospel is. I turned to 1 Corinthians 15. I read it. She said, now come on. She said, you tell me. I said, I'll tell you what I want to do. In all fairness, God's going to judge you, not me. And you'll be judged according to what's written in the book. And I kept reading the scripture. Sister Grant and I went away that night with our heads low and kind of an empty feeling in our stomach. Because they had, well, quite frankly, they had rejected what we had to say. Now, I felt a, a confidence, though. I never raised my voice, never gave him a piece of my mind, and never got out of the Bible. There was such a confidence that came. Uh, you know, it, it's real sad when somebody stops you all of a sudden when you're witnessing and say, wait a minute. You've got a bad spirit. I've had that to happen to me. That's embarrassing. I made up my mind I was not going to let that happen to me. Now, I think when you're anointed of God and you're preaching that some people can misunderstand that. Because preaching is not altogether explaining. It's expounding. It's stating things as being factual. But nevertheless, uh, one year now has gone by. And a few days ago, I got a Christmas card and I opened it up. It said, Dear Brother and Sister Grant, we have such fond memories of last Christmas and our baptism at Calvary Gospel Church. While we were unable to continue, 
our studies. We want you to know we learned so much. And we thank you so much for your outstanding attitude. Lynette and I have grown this past year to be very fond of you and Sister Grant. We trust that in the near future, our paths will cross again. Signed, June and Lynette Franklin. Now you see, you may say, well, Brother Grant, what are you trying to say? You see, when people refuse you and reject you, it's always good to know that when you walk away, there's an open door in which they can return when they are ready. You see, that's the way Jesus did it for me. I walked away from him so many times. I told him no so many times. But every time I got in trouble, I turned back toward the church. And there he stood with his arms stretched out. I'll take you back. I love you. And you know, in all the things that he did to chastise me, I always felt that I could go back to him. Because he loved me. Would you stand right now? Like for Brother Crowder, he would to come. Brother Cox, would you come? Brother Downey, would you come? Brother Man, would you come? Brother Keith. We want to receive communion at this time. The words of Paul, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, 
And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. In other words, we don't want to die with the world. That's why God sometimes lays it on us pretty heavy. Because He loves us. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Praise God. You know, the Bible is such a live book, isn't it? What we want to do, we want to pray first the blessings of the Lord upon the fruit of the vine and then the breaking of the bread. And uh, we want to have you to come. Sister Rutherford will minister to you in song as you march around. Praise God. Brother Felix, would you pray the blessings of God upon the juice? Blessings of God upon the breaking of the bread.
thank you so much for Calvary. Thank you for what you've done and what you've shown us. We thank you for this opportunity to remember it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> Brother Downey, you and Brother Cox, if you would, break the bread. Would you do that? Sister Rutherford, would you sing? Now, we'd like for you, as soon as they break the bread and I give you the okay, we'd like for you to come by, get the bread and the juice, go back to your pew. You can be seated if you'd like.